Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. When a college leader assumes his or her presidency for the first time, I've often wondered how they begin to understand the complexities of college athletics. So many sitting presidents rise to the position from the academic side of the house. Where do they go to learn about college athletics? In 2023, there are so many challenges and choices for presidents to make, and it can seem daunting. How do presidents go about learning how things work beyond wins and losses in the business of college sports? Do they just listen and take directives from their AD, or do they work to insert the values and mission of the institution into their athletics departments? And how do presidents work to understand the conference and national issues impacting college sports today? My guests today are two longtime professional colleagues and friends. Anna Maria Kause is the 33rd president of the University of Washington, where she has been a member of the faculty since 1986. She's a member of the PAC-12 Conference Executive Leadership Team and was a part of the group that hired current commissioner, George Kliakoff. She is deeply aware of the fast-changing dynamics in Power Five and PAC-12 programs. James Soto Anthony is the Dean of the Division of Graduate Education and Professor Education Studies at the University of California, San Diego. Along with Anamari, he is the co-editor of the College President Handbook, a sustainable and practical guide for emerging leaders, a dynamic book published in 2022 that includes relevant information for new presidents across many of their responsibilities. Jim has closely followed the changes in college athletics in the last 20 years as a researcher and was the founder of the University of Washington Center for Leadership in Athletics. Anamari and Jim, welcome to the podcast. Bob will be joining us in a little bit. I'm so pleased to have you both here. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Thank you for asking us. Well, it's, it's a tremendous time to be talking about college athletics. I know you both have been following it closely. Uh, and and uh, Anamari, as you said, we have had tremendous turnover in the presidencies across the country, all levels. Um, you know, they say that the life expectancy of a presidency right now might be five years. It used to be much longer. When you begin to think about becoming a president, and as you explained to me, you've been at the same institution your, your entire career. What were some of the things that you began to think about and understand that you already knew, but you knew you needed to know about athletics? Well, I don't think, I mean, I certainly had some sense, uh, partly because we'd had a number of scandals here um, in my time. And, you know, as Dean of Arts and Sciences, I watched some of that play out, um, so forth. Also, uh, as when I was an undergraduate, I was an undergraduate University of Miami where athletics was a big deal. I worked for campus sports and recreation and I did some tutoring for athletes. So, you know, I had some sense of um, athletics, uh, but I don't think I had any sense of, first of all, how much time um, it would take, um, you know, how many, you know, just meetings and hours and so forth and so on um, of my time um, it would take. I also don't think I realized the degree to which, and, you know, these things are interrelated. Um, I, I probably, uh, you know, there's a the amount of attention, 
I mean, you know, quite frankly, you know, when we're when we're interviewing, for example, for a football coach, yeah. um, you will have reporters camped out at the airport trying to see if they can find out. That does not happen when you're interviewing for a president. And so just the degree, I mean, I had certainly heard it said that uh, athletics was the front door of the university. Um, I was also well aware of, you know, the, the infamous joke, you know, I walk, you know, president wakes up from a nightmare and they say, well, what happened? I dreamt I had, you know, two football teams and two medical schools and <laughs> we have both. Um, and, you know, so, so, so I was aware of the fact that this was important that, you know, but I don't think I had any sense of how much. Um, Jim, let me follow up with you. You've been studying this, this role uh, from a different perspective, both as a scholar, as a dean, as someone who directed a center for athletic leadership. Um, what's been your perspective, just looking at athletics and the rise of new presidents and their ability to manage this complexity? Uh, thanks for the great question. I, I would agree with my colleague Anamadi because uh, most people who ascend to the presidency perhaps have not had uh, direct oversight or any reason to uh, come in direct contact uh, with athletics, with coaches, with, with athletic leaders of any kind. And in my work over the years, uh, I've tried to fill that gap by trying to seek ways to demystify, shall we say, some of the most basic components of athletics. I guess the second thing I wanna say is I, I feel it's an important priority as we think about that future cadre of university presidents, university leaders, uh, to help them understand that athletics for them should be a, a hands-on uh, endeavor. It should not be something, at least if they, in my opinion, wanna be successful, uh, it should not be something that they delegate too far from the presidential perch. They, they may not be the content experts on every last issue. You should certainly hire excellent people and trust them to do their jobs, but you can't uh, allow athletics to be too far uh, from your uh, uh, radar screen. Um, otherwise, there's problems with oversight and, and, and you can certainly uh, uh, suffer the consequences. So that's been a, 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 a sort of a, a calling card of my work to really see how can we help uh, uh, aspirational leaders learn at least the minimum of what they need to know or perhaps know what they don't know uh, when it comes to college athletics. So let's talk a little bit about that, that conundrum. I mean, we, we have people who aspire to be great leaders and yet they walk into the office and feel blindsided so many times by what can happen. I remember when the um, most recent University of Louisville president was hired, he said on day two, we had to deal with a crisis involving you know his basketball team and he had to get up to speed really quickly. Can we do a better job of preparing presidents? And if so, how do we do that, Anamari? Well, I definitely think that we can do a better job and we do need to do a better job. But I also want to say that, you know, part of the attraction in some ways of any administrative position is that you, you're a learner and you're constantly learning new things. And I think that, you know, it is important to be clear that, you know, just as is the case, if you were um, you know, God forbid that I make the analogy of a CEO, but that if you were a CEO of a business or whatever, that there are parts of the business that you know better than others. And, you know, uh, you know, I mean, the joke about the medical school is I have a medical school and, you know, 
Uh, I, you know, as a clinical psychologist, I probably know a little bit more than some people, but that there are parts of the facilities, that there are parts of the organization that you don't know that much about. And I feel very strongly that if on any given subject um, and we're making a big decision, if I am the smartest person at the table or the most knowledgeable on that subject, I've picked the wrong team. But, you know, so I, I you know, it's not that I think that people need to have, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a how in depth, this is not necessarily one where, but I do think that it's important that they recognize that this is not something they can delegate um, and that it is absolutely critical because it is in many ways the front porch. Um, a lot of people, they know not a whole lot more, but about your school in terms of that it is. I mean, whether you like it or not, and you know, and, and some people don't like it, and I'm not sure that this would be my value. I'm mean, in fact, I'm sure it would not be my value system. You know, given a choice, I would rather that the newspaper had a section on education um, every day and uh, a whole section every weekend rather than on sports. But the bottom line is that, um, and I would love it if uh, uh, you know my faculty members could fill a stadium. Um, with people willing to pay $50 to hear them lecture. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we do have to deal with where societal values are. And these are our students. Um, this is, you know, part of how we set um, expectations about our value systems. And in many ways, I think of coaches in some ways very much in the way that you think about faculty members. And what I mean by that is they are teachers. Um, they are doing an important part of our educational mission. Makes sense. Um, let me ask you, Jim, in your research, uh, do you find that uh, presidents fully embrace their, let's call it their NCAA roles and responsibilities for being the presidents, for being the chief officer who has to attest to their NCAA compliance and those kinds of things, their ability to sit in conference leadership positions and national leadership positions, or do you feel like they're sort of sort of thrown into that or somewhere in between? Yeah, I, I think the answer is it depends. Uh, if you had asked me this question uh, 10, 15 years ago when I really started to dig into this work, uh, I would have uh, shared my alarm at the number of uh, presidents who um, really pushed uh, responsibility for athletics down to a secondary tertiary level within their organization and just really didn't want to know about it or hear about it right. uh, unless it was the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're now in a very different place in higher education history where there have been so many high profile events that most people entering these roles, particularly at institutions uh, that have high visibility athletic departments, they, they understand that the buck stops on, on the presidential desk. So for better or worse, presidents have, have to embrace uh, the notion that uh, they have some responsibility. I think, you know, Karen, uh, your question where, where perhaps uh, there's more nuance is uh, as you and I, all three of us know, there are more student athletes uh, in competition at the division two, division three level combined than there are at division one. And I sometimes worry that a D2, D3 
um, there could be a collective abrogation of responsibility from the president's suite to other parts of the organization. And I, I, and I hope presidents at those uh, institutions understand that even they too uh, have to be uh, all hands on deck when it comes to understanding the athletics uh, component of their yeah, institution. I, I, I want to second what, 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 what Jim just said, because I, I've been surprised. There are um, many high profile uh, private institutions have a much higher percentage of student athletes yes. than we do at the University of Washington. So it is a very substantial, in some cases, part of their student body. But because athletics is not quite as much of a front porch, I've been a little, um, I'll be honest, shocked at how little. Um, I remember being at a meeting and uh, with other you know, top university presidents and we were talking about athletics and budgets and football in particular. And there was a university president at a school that has a very high percentage of athletes at that school um, basically say, gee, I'm so lucky um, because I don't have to, you know, I don't have to subsidize, um, you know, I don't have to subsidize my football team. Um, huh. You know, my football, you know, I don't, I, I don't lose, you know, and it was like, wait a second, you, I mean, you know, we're at a university that largely our athletic department is self-supporting. That is not the case at any D2. Correct. Um, <laughs> and just was totally unaware of how much money that university was paying right. um, for its athletes. Just assumed that because they weren't a big powerhouse, that that wasn't the case. Yeah, that is striking. And I, I couldn't agree more with both of you. I work a lot with D2 and D3 administrators, particularly in D3, they have something called the Athletic Direct Report, uh, which is a position in the NCAA structure there where they're supposed to deal with the day-to-day -day operations. But I think the, my understanding of that is so many times the president on those campuses is hired to go externally and raise money and, and interact with uh, alumni and donors. And the ADR is left to fend for themselves. And oftentimes they'd come up through student affairs or, or through student activities or something else, campus and recreational programs. And they don't know what to ask. And so they become the stopgap for the president and what should filter to the president or not. Um, Jim, do you have any thoughts on that? <clears throat> No, I, I just want to concur with both uh, both of you on what you've said. I think the challenge here lies in a, perhaps a missed opportunity for a president, regardless of where they might be a president. Um, it's sort of like any high potential activity that university is involved in. If a president is just completely unaware of that activity and the potential. Uh, they miss an opportunity to really connect with an important set of stakeholders for the institution. Um, I will be frank, and I think Karen, you, you might agree with this because you certainly uh, are in touch with uh, uh, D2, D3 institutions uh, on a much more regular basis than I am, but the alumni and particularly former athletic alumni at DT3, D2 and D3 schools are just as passionate uh, yeah. for their athletic cause as any D1 sort of quote unquote yeah. big time athletic uh, enterprise. And if you don't believe that uh, to the listeners of this podcast, um, just go back to recent history of D2 or D3 schools trying to cut a specific sport and suddenly out of the woodwork come a whole host of 
uh, impassioned uh, uh, former students and former student athletes. So I think it behooves all presidents, regardless of their uh, institutional culture and structure, uh, to figure out uh, what their role is with oversight, with leadership, uh, with collaboration with their AD and with other athletic leaders, and to not lose the multiple opportunities that exist to really connect uh, with the athletic sphere. Well, and I think it's also really, really important to have that um, connection, quite frankly, between the athletic and the academic sphere. For example, you know, um, we have bars, faculty athletic representatives, and at some places they tend to appoint individuals that are um, to use a, 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 bad, a bad word, jock sniffers, you know, in other words, you know, people who are just crazy about athletics. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, the FARs that we've appointed that have been appointed in my time as presidency are people who, you know, care passionately about athletics. But for example, um, the first FAR um, in my time as president is now um, Dean of the Business School. Mm. Um, the second, the FAR that I'm working with right now has an absolute national profile in her area of sociology and is actually now our faculty regent. Um, these are people that are absolutely respected across campus for their academic values. And so when they talk about um, you know, what we're doing to support our athletes academically, about you know, how we look at academics in our athletes when we're recruiting, et cetera, um, you know, it's not, you know, they, they, they have, um, they have, it matters what they say, that these are people where their, their, their integrity, their academic integrity is really unquestioned. And that makes a difference. Uh, that is a crucial role on campus at all levels. And more is being asked of those folks now than ever before under the yes. new transformation uh, structure. So let me ask you this, if you both could think of three things that you think are the most important things for new presidents to know about their athletics program, what would you say? And Anamari, I'll start with you. Well, I think it's really important that they understand the budget and how it works, um, to what degree um, they're subsidized, how those subsidies happen, whether it's student fees, we're one of the few schools that doesn't have student fees, you know, how that whole system works and to have some sense of, you know, where they lie on the hierarchy um, and what, you know, how far, you know, where they want to position themselves, but to understand the budget, how it works, et cetera. I think that the second part is that it's absolutely critical that they understand um, how shall I say, the kind of academic support values, et cetera, that the, I mean, there are places, for example, that routinely um, accept students, you know, under the athletic uh, pro, you know, that, that would never have gotten in otherwise. Right. Um, you know, there are places where that's more exceptional and that you have, for example, we have a committee that has included the Dean of Arts and Sciences that uh, makes decisions as to whether we're not we're going to, you know, in other words, they need to understand what kind of academic support are students given, um, you know, what are the expectations, et cetera, in terms, they need to understand whether or not, for example, um, a lot of people have been taken, you know, side, you know, what are the courses that they're taking? 
I think it's important to do a bit of an examination. You know, sometimes you do find classes that are being uh, just there for athletes. I mean, that was a uh, uh, when I was um, dean of arts and sciences, that was an issue in one of our departments that we had to clean up. Um, and so I think they need to understand that. I also think that they need to understand, this is part of the funding, but a little bit separate, um, all those issues around fundraising and um, issues with alumni and, uh, you know, that, that, that end up getting involved in everything from recruiting to uh, sometimes, you know, part-time jobs that, you know, you know, that, you know, there are a lot of NCAA violations that are not necessarily done by uh, the university per se, but through the, um, you know, alumni and fan base support and, you know, what that's like and how that's managed. It's a good point, Jim. What would be the three things that you would recommend? Well, um, in no particular order, I'd start with uh, any president should really understand their institution's mission, culture, and values, independent of athletics. Sure. But then once they really have embodied and understood, truly understood those three things, ask themselves where athletics fits in uh, to the mission, the culture, and the values. Um, I would say the second thing I would recommend is they should understand the people. And what I mean by that is who is over in athletics? from your AD to, you know, without micromanaging the AD to understanding coaches and the overall uh, administrative structure there. Get a sense of the talents that are in place, get a sense of uh, alignment with institutional mission, values, and culture, uh, because when all is said and done, uh, you're gonna be relying on those people to give you the best advice possible. And hopefully that advice is aligned with missions, mission, institutional culture, and values. I'd say probably the final thing I'd recommend is a president should actively seek as opposed to uh, avoid what might be the potential challenges or shall we say bad news that might be lurking around the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, I think presidents should create cultures where uh, people are uh, welcome and even encouraged to, uh, to discuss openly what those challenges might be as opposed to a culture of fear. Oh, we're not gonna tell the president about this. We'll, we'll figure it out on our own. And then that thing festers and becomes a scandal. Uh, so those would be the three things I might recommend. Yeah. I, I'm gonna add one more thing as Jim was talking that occurred to me is that I think it's important to understand where athletics and particularly where winning um, to be absolutely you know, blunt about it, where it stands on the hierarchy of importance amongst your trustees. Okay. I can mean, you elaborate, are, elaborate, yeah. Well, I can elaborate. There are certainly, you know, um, institutions where you hear, I can't say whether it's the case or not, that uh, basically, you know, whether it's the football or basketball coach or whatever is more important than the president. Mm -hmm. um, and there are places where the expectation is that, um, you know, uh, the most important thing is winning yeah. and period end. Um, and, you know, and, and they'll, you know, and, and, and you need to know, um, you need to have a sense of those things um, before you get there. And uh, what is your tolerance level to be a president at an institution where, um, for example, it might be, at, you know, because, and it might be uh, because of who's on your board of trustees, 
It might be uh, because of who your primary donors are, you know, for, for a whole different uh, sense of, but you need to understand, um, you know, those things. Yeah. If, if I may, because Anamari is reminding me of yet another elaboration, uh, when I speak about culture, values, institutional mission, I might point out that, uh, you know, as we know, there's tremendous fluidity uh, when it comes to, or portability when it comes to leaders. They, they might go from one type of institution to a very different kind of institution uh, to become a president. And, 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 and they may bring with them a, a background, a knowledge, or expectations about athletics, or even biases about athletics that frankly don't transport well to the new institutional type or the new institutional culture that they're inheriting. Here is a classic example of what I'm saying. Um, I know of an individual who went from a large uh, institution with a major division one program um, to an institution that shall we say is more subject to the national discussions that are going on right now about the demographic cliff and the enrollment managements, uh, uh, management challenges uh, that are being faced. And what this individual had to learn quickly when I discussed it with them was that at that new institution, athletics was a strategy to contribute positively to enrollment management. Uh, whereas at the old institution, uh, athletic admits, if you will, or admissions mm -hmm. slots, if you will, wasn't something that was discussed uh, uh, in a very direct way, but at this new institution, athletics was very strategically used as a way to ensure enrollment. Uh, and that was, a, that was a huge learning curve um, because it caused this individual to have to confront a lot of biases that they brought to the new institutional culture. I couldn't agree more with what you both said. And I, I'll add one other thing, that the, the assumption that uh, if you've worked at a large public uh, land grant institution and then you become a president, let's say it's a small private D2 or D3 school, that is just D1 without the scholarships, you know, that type of thing is sometimes uh, really start, you get a rough start off in your presidency. I've seen that that time and time again. So one of the things that I know that your book is going to try to help with, my certificate program is helping with, is helping them understand the differences, the nuances and how to approach each institution because athletics is not the same, even from conference to conference. And um, I yeah, think that's I think, something that, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I absolutely, I want to absolutely reinforce that is that I think that there are some things that any president, regardless of where they're at, that having some sense of athletics, et cetera, et cetera, these yeah. after all are our students. Um, but I think that there is no question um, I, you know, I've, I've known a few presidents that have moved from one institution to another and have been surprised in some cases at, my God, I had no idea how important athletics was here. Yeah. And in some cases, the other way around that, you know, hey, you know, I mean, here, I mean, people are happy when we win, but when we lose, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's true. And, it's and really, you need to it, know. It gets back to the culture. So let's build on the conference roles and responsibilities that presidents have and the national roles and responsibilities that presidents have. So what are your thoughts about how do you get up to speed with learning how your voice works at the conference level and then also at the national level? And either one of you can start, it doesn't matter to me. Well, you know, I think that, you know, part of, you know, writing the book was uh, to, you know, I mean, athletics is one and that's what we're talking about today. 
but to, you know, I, I think that sometimes people have this very kind of romanticized notion of being a university president. And there are wonderful things about it, but, you know, as, you know, depending on where they come up from, uh, don't have a good sense of just how broad, like I say, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, Gene, you know, you're responsible for building and facilities and for calling, you know, when you call a snow day and, you know, all kinds of things that you hadn't thought of. And so I think it is important because, uh, again, with athletics, it's not just that it's, a, in some cases, a very major part of your organization, but because of the visibility and uh, whether you're doing well, um, it can, you know, certainly help to bring people together to fundraise, but also um, the scandal. And so I think that that's important. But, you know, in terms of learning, you know, there's not going to be any book, um, you know, uh, you know, some, you know, courses will help, et cetera. But I think it partly is, I know for me, part of it was, and this was a surprise to me as well, is that um, the degree to which uh, I interact with, for example, other Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 presidents. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is that because we meet regularly to talk about athletics, they become people that you know, and you end up talking about, first of all, you know, I mean, I've definitely gotten a lot of mentoring, et cetera, from, you know, from, from others in terms of other aspects of the university, but also um, the way that most conferences are set up. And obviously I know the Pac-12 best, but is that, you know, it's over time you raise, you know, you know, who the leaders are based on how long they've been there. And so you, you know, you, you teach one another to some degree. What I think is really important is that you know um, you don't just, at least for me, is I don't just want. I mean, I, I want to learn from others and understand the culture, but I also want to be a change agent. And that's not easy to do <laughs> in a conference setting because you want to get along, but you want to challenge each other too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, how about you? Well, I certainly don't have the experience that uh, my colleague Anamani has. Uh, so let me speak about uh, just as a scholar and as uh, a person who's passionately interested in athletics, what I hope leaders uh, would embrace. And that is a new leader would understand that though they may just be trying to find their voice around those tables, whether it be at the conference level or, or at the national level, um, they have a responsibility to find their voice. Yes. Uh, they cannot just be uh, in the shadows. They really have to understand, I hope, uh, when they come to meetings, what the issues are locally for their institution, which means they better be in deep conversation with their ADs, with their FAR, with, with everything that's going on. Um, I would say, I, I would hope also that people are able to balance in both an ethical and collegial manner, what are their own individual institution self-interests, uh, balance that against what's good for every other member in the conference or blow it out one level higher, uh, every member in the division, whether it's one, two, or three. Um, so, you know, Karen, you don't need me to say that we, we are at a sea change moment right now with the NCAA. Nobody really, really knows what the NCAA of the future is gonna look like. But what we do know is presidents, chancellors will continue to play an essential role in shaping that organization for the future. And I just really, really hope and, 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 and 
really hope these folks aspire to having uh, a voice and not just letting things happen to them, but instead be the uh, agents of change that Anamari has uh, has implied. I not agree more. So let me wrap up the conversation with 2023 and beyond. Um, what kinds of things are you keeping on your radar? What are you noticing that you and your colleagues really have to pay deep attention to? Well, I think that there are, uh, if I were going to say, and you know, it goes back to the to the joke at the beginning, the two areas uh, within the academy where things are moving the most rapidly, it is the healthcare system and the athletic system. Yeah. that the number of changes that are going on are huge. Um, I am, I was all in favor of NIL, but then how do you actually do it in a way that has reasonable guardrails where it's not pay for play, which um, I've got to say, uh, occasionally it looks very much like that, which is not what we wanted. Um, you know, how do you uh, rein in boosterism when it comes to uh, NIL? Uh, I think that uh, more and more, um, you know, I, I am, am a fan of the fact that we've expanded the playoff system, um, but at the same time, very aware of how do you handle that in terms of student academic, um, the balance between, you know, the academics and, uh, you know, how do you manage, uh, you know, some of these things you don't manage by yourself. Um, for example, I would love if basketball were more like football or, or, uh, or even baseball, you know, where um, there weren't one and, one and dones, um, where, you know, either like, you know, football, they'd say, you know, you have to have played so many years or like, you know, baseball, you can go direct into the majors if that's what you want. Right. Um, but, you know, and, and you don't have control over all these things, but it's a landscape that's changing very, very rapidly. And there are parts of this that are unquestionably a good thing. Having worked with, uh, having done some tutoring for some college athletes, um, you know, particularly those from low-income backgrounds, et cetera, you know, it is absolutely a wonderful thing that, uh, that they can profit more from NIL and, and so forth. There's no question about that, but it's also opened some floodgates that are, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, it's very, very difficult ground to figure out how do you do it in a way that's truly ethical. How do you deal with the fact that I've got to be honest, I am having some trouble swallowing what some salaries look like yeah. and yeah. what some expectations. And it's not just, you know, the yearly salary, but the guarantee of 10 years at that salary. Um, and what, what is that doing and what does it communicate? I mean, you know, we can't, it is, you know, it would be a violation about antitrust to put a ceiling on it, at least right now. But um, what does that look like? What does it say? I mean, I, I think we really are, um, you know, in a, in a situation where the amount of money that's floating around um, is, 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 is really not necessarily having a positive influence. In fact, I'd say the other way around. Right, right. Jim? So I have several um, that keep me somewhat awake, if you will, um, in no particular order again. Uh, to echo Anamari's uh, concern about money, um, I, I'm concerned about the uh, emerging uh, crisis of institutional haves versus institutional have-nots. 
um, which honestly is only going to play itself out in a pernicious uh, sense at the D2 and D3 level. Mm -hmm. um, I really, really worry about that. Uh, I worry about the fact that we've known long for, for more than a decade about the supremacy of conferences. I think we've now turned a corner, frankly, uh, where conference supremacy undeniably reigns. And uh, so I guess in that vein, I worry that there uh, we collectively in higher education haven't thought about the hypothetical scenario of uh, the D1 conference and then a split off, which we might call D1 prime. Um, and that's an, a set of institutions that truly decides to do things its own way, leaving everybody else in, in their dust. Um, which, by the way, brings me to another one uh, that I think uh, the new NCA president certainly must be on his mind. What is the future of the NCA itself in, in a scenario where conference supremacy really reigns, where there could be a D1 prime versus a collective D1? Can we have an NCAA that remains relevant and vital for the future? I think that's crucial. Uh, student athlete welfare continues to be a problem, a challenge, uh, whether it's physical well-being or mental well-being. I don't think we figured that out. Gender equity, uh, let's be real. Uh, we have an unbelievable number of challenges that persist around gender equity. And I'd say the last thing is diversity. It's shocking to me, Karen, the yes. lack of ethnic diversity that exists in college athletics, whether it be at the highest administrative levels, uh, to the coaches, uh, to rank and file administrators. Um, that has got to change. So I would say 2023 and beyond, these remain some of the persistent challenges I hope we focus on. Yeah, I, I want to add to, to, to what Jim said about race, because I think that just as important um, in terms of race is the um, I mean, you know, you know, I, I don't believe that uh, anyone uh, would have ever done this way purposefully. But the bottom line is we have um, some sports that are primarily made up of uh, black and brown individuals that are low income that are subsidizing very wealthy white students. And that is um, very, very difficult. And people aren't owning up to the fact that that is the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, when we tend to talk about the problems in athletics, we think, you know, football and basketball. There is a huge issue in terms of the number of other sports that we have that are entryways. That's what the admission scandal found that are entryways into the highest level of and that are now. Um, and often we use gender equity as the excuse are now heavily subsidized students that don't need to be subsidized. Yeah. Um, are heavily subsidized and who is subsidizing them. And, uh, you know, people, people you know, it, it's become much more transparent than it used to be. And I think that, uh, you know, to, 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 to just turn our heads and may pretend that that's not part of the issue, I think is, a real, is really problematic. I would like to see, I personally would like to see a lot more of athletic scholarships be actually based on, um, on financial need even if it's for the entire, you know, very much, um, I, I've said this before and it doesn't seem to be um, a very popular opinion, but very much like we do with schools, where if you have enough low-income kids in a school, the entire school gets, you know, something. So, because, you know, you don't want one player next to another, but that, you know, just because um, you are providing athletic scholarships and, you know, maybe academic um, 
pluses, et cetera, to the football team or track team, does that mean you have to do it to the lacrosse team? Obviously, if lacrosse has enough low-income students, yes, you should. But I, I have a lot of trouble with that because that is part, that is unquestionably part of what is, what is making athletics so expensive. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I tell you, you have given my listeners a ton to think about in this space. I'm going to encourage every one of my wannabe presidents and senior campus leaders to listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm also going to share with some of my students so they can think about some of the broader challenges that, you know, leadership uh, faces in this era and how we can encourage good leaders to to rise to the challenge and come up through the ranks and, and embrace some of these real issues that face college athletics today. So, I also want before we end, I do want yeah. to say that there are some absolutely fabulous things. I mean, I think that it's not I don't think it's a coincidence that so many women leaders um, were in athletics, whether they were in high school or in college. I think that the kind of discipline that is taught, the fact that in college athletics, you learn that, you know, that after you win, you shake the hand of the person you've been playing with and you probably have more in common you know, that, 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 that just because, you know, you're competing doesn't mean that they're enemies. And I think that there are wonderful, wonderful aspects to college athletics, the way in which it brings together people across uh, the socioeconomic um, sphere to root, the way it can build school spirit. And so there are huge challenges here, but I also want people to understand that I think that there are incredible um, opportunities, possibilities, and rewards that can come from having a really good um, athletic department, which I, I, I am very lucky that I really feel we have. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, thank you both for taking time and and uh, spending uh, some good thinking time about what we need to be doing in the future. Um, I hope my listeners will get a lot out of this podcast. So again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome.